This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Avery Kreiwold, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. This is a bonus episode, and it wasn't in the plan until President Biden unveiled his American Jobs Plan on March 31st. That's what this one is going to be about. There will be another bonus episode later on in the show that goes over the most important pieces of climate policy on a global scale, but this plan isn't included because it wasn't proposed when I made that episode. Although the plan does not mention climate in the title, The $2.3 trillion plan has been declared one of the most ambitious climate plans proposed by heavily emitting countries. I will be putting links to all of the articles and documents I read through for this episode, so go take a look if you want to learn even more. This episode isn't quite the same as regular episodes in that we won't be looking into a cool and innovative technology or company, but going through this plan is still really interesting and super inspiring to see some large-scale action being proposed by one of the countries who need to work on their climate policy the most. So get ready for some insanely large amounts of money, and enjoy the show. Now before we dive into America's new grand plan for the future, we have to look at how we ended up in this position. Because really, theoretically, no leader of any country should be forced to propose a $2.3 trillion plan to fix up various aspects of the country that should be maintained and be in no need of any kind of fixing. Politics in the US is an unreasonably convoluted and complex issue that I won't even pretend to understand. But the one thing that is abundantly clear to me is that by having the polarized parties of the Republicans and Democrats constantly playing tug-of-war with the office of the White House, it has become infinitely more difficult to make progress in any direction within the last century. That's not to say that the U.S. has been stagnant. They haven't. They've incubated and grown some of the most influential corporations known to man. Amazon, Apple, Google. But at the same time, with the two parties representing vastly different demographics of people based on location, upbringing, social status, and beliefs on the economy and social issues, topics such as climate change become ammunition for political leaders and an important facet of their party platform. With Democratic leaders pushing for more climate action and Republicans, in some cases, not all, replying with, what? Climate change? It snowed just last week. The issue becomes more and more polarized as the parties use it to further their own agendas. It wasn't always like this, though. In 1992, Republican President George H. Bush signed on to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change in the hopes of reducing anthropogenic or human-caused climate change. It was soon after that act that climate change as a general concept began to be used in political debates as a weapon instead of an inevitable point of action like defense or budget. When the next Democratic president, Bill Clinton, attempted to sign on to the Kyoto Protocol, which is a piece of climate policy we'll talk about in that later bonus episode, the Republican Senate refused to confirm the bill and it was never resolved. When the other George Bush, who was also Republican, was elected, 
he stated that the U.S. would no longer pursue in any way the goals set out by the Kyoto Protocol. In 2015, in order to comply with another piece of climate policy we'll discuss in that bonus episode, called the Paris Agreement, Democratic President Barack Obama stated goals to reduce U.S. emissions by 28% compared to 2005 levels by 2025. Then what do you know? It flips back to being Republican with Donald Trump, who immediately resolves to leave the agreement and abolishes dozens of lesser-known environmental policies that the Obama government had fought hard to put into place. Which brings us to January 20th, 2021, when the latest president, Joe Biden, a Democrat, takes office and immediately rejoins the Paris Agreement, as well as setting goals to cut emissions 50% by 2030 and implement 100% renewable energy resources by 2035. It's been back and forth and back and forth so many times since the beginning of climate science that in some ways the U.S. is right back where it started. Climate change should not be a political issue, and we cannot allow it to be used as ammunition. Climate change should be a topic discussed in the same way as the economy. It exists, it's an important thing, and now we have to deal with it. Not in a way that paints climate action as an all-in or all-out issue, because it's not. And it's not a matter of your political beliefs. It's a matter of human safety and the protection of the world on which we live. My hope is that through the new administration, climate change can become at least a more bipartisan issue, because you don't have to believe in raising taxes and more government involvement in order to care about keeping the trees alive. As of March 31, 2021, Joe Biden has released his new American Jobs Plan. The plan has been drafted by the Democratic Party and Biden's cabinet, and though climate isn't in the title, it's a central component of the plan overall along with infrastructure revitalization, energy reform, and increasing accessibility of public transit, especially to disadvantaged communities. This plan is not yet an official policy or even a budget. It needs to go through the House and Senate first. So let's take a look at what Biden is actually proposing. Biden's American Jobs Plan is, at its core, an effort to revitalize America as a whole, decrease wealth gaps and societal inequity, and ensure sustainability in civilization as well as for the planet. Not all of the categories I will go through have a direct and easily visible impact on climate change, but most sections focused on by Biden are in some way, shape, or form climate action. The largest portion of money is being directed to community infrastructure, with a staggering $689 billion. The largest sum of that money is directed towards public housing, building new living spaces and renovating old ones, which will act to decrease homelessness and increase functionality and productivity of communities. The next is education and healthcare centers, providing funding for essential institutions in order to reevaluate infrastructure and policies to ensure the highest efficiency and quality of experience in both sectors. Clean drinking water, widespread internet availability, and electricity investments are similarly weighted, but combined are almost one and a half times the housing budget. Biden wants to reconstruct water infrastructure, from contaminant-free water sources to water transportation free of lead pipes and other dangerous materials and chemicals, and better water treatment and recovery systems. Providing 100% of Americans with available high-speed internet is an utmost priority, as the internet becomes more and more important, while company transparency and competition between service providers will be heavily encouraged through the plan. 
Biden's plan proposes building out faster transmission lines for electricity, providing tax breaks and incentivizing the use of renewable energy and carbon capture technologies, and properly decommissioning abandoned fossil fuel operations that have been polluting idly for years to no one's benefit. The next overarching section of the plan involves something that Biden has campaigned on and continued to push for throughout his first months as president, now coming out with $621 billion directed towards transportation. Transportation is one of the largest greenhouse gas emitters, and it's also a huge issue for the freedom of individuals. Putting significant time, money, and effort into rebuilding transportation across the country will act directly on societal inequities as well as large greenhouse gas contributors. Almost a third of that budget is allocated for electric vehicles, including building half a million charging stations and converting the entire postal fleet to electric vehicles, along with as many school bus fleets and transit vehicles as possible. With electric vehicles being one of the most important changes to implement for meaningful action against climate change, the investment proposed by Biden is groundbreaking, and it will also create millions of jobs, as the name of the plan suggests. Transportation also includes repairing roadways, bridges, and highways, as well as renovating and refocusing technology and infrastructure in rail, air transport, and freight shipping systems. The plan proposes more than doubling the current budget on public transit, reducing emissions from single-occupant transportation, and making essential urban travel accessible for all. The final sectors within transportation are repairing community inequities, increasing safety, accessibility, and interconnection in all communities, and building out new infrastructure resilience, projects implemented to protect communities from the increasing threats of extreme weather. The second-to-last category of investment is elder care, with $400 billion of investment. And I'll be honest, it's a bit of a stretch to relate this one to climate action, but it's good to know that your grandpa living down in South Carolina will have easier access to better old-age care infrastructure as well as the funds to pay for it. And the last category is not completely climate-focused, but a large portion, if not the majority of it, is. $580 billion invested into R&D and manufacturing. $300 billion of that will go into infrastructure and supplies for the electricity sector, the medical sector, clean energy, local businesses, and local innovation hubs. Another $180 billion goes to research and development almost exclusively in developing and implementing clean, renewable energy as well as carbon capture and climate resilience efforts. The remaining $100 billion would be used to rectify inequalities in the employment of these fields and employ more individuals from disadvantaged communities, as well as young people just starting out their careers. All in all, the American Jobs Plan being proposed by the Biden administration is bold. It's not afraid to make big promises and it puts climate action near, if not at the very top of the priority list. We're still a long way away from this plan being implemented, but it's vitally important that when an administration or leader makes such large-scale promises, that they're held accountable to those promises. $2.3 trillion is simply an unfathomable number. I haven't found a way to make that number take any kind of understandable form in my head so far, so how does the president propose that we pay for these investments? The bill will focus mostly on increasing corporate taxes for U.S.-based companies and companies that operate in the U.S. 
It will also work to better enforce tax policy and ensure that all of those corporations who should be paying corporate taxes are. Corporations will also be heavily encouraged to base production and manufacturing systems in the U.S. so that their tax dollars can be utilized properly in the building of all the infrastructure and policies that we talked about earlier. And finally, my favorite method of generating the capital required for the plan, ending tax breaks for fossil fuel companies. After concerned and outraged citizens have been calling for this for years now, Biden's plan includes taking action to ensure that the companies producing the highest amount of harmful emissions are subjected to no more and no less taxes than any other corporation of similar size. This is a big deal, and I know that the increased taxes is where some people will find an issue with this plan. But just remember that Biden doesn't mention any increase of taxes to the individual. Only the corporations who have much more power and responsibility to take action on climate change. The simple fact is that building back better, as Biden calls it, costs money. Reimagining entire sectors like housing, communities, transportation, and energy requires money. But it's not money being thrown away. The name of the plan is the American Jobs Plan. And though I focus mostly on the overview of ideas, every single one of those sectors that Biden plans to reform will generate millions of jobs, billions of dollars of investment opportunities for the private sector and individuals, and will generate new opportunities in everyday life for all Americans, and even people outside of America. At the end of the day, the actions proposed in the American Jobs Plan aren't really optional. They're the most dire sectors that need to be worked on immediately, and it's very encouraging to see the U.S. recognizing that and proposing a plan that addresses the most important issues starting now. Something I should mention is that this bill is obviously American. So if you're not American, your options for supporting the plan are much more limited. That said, if you support Biden's plan, I would encourage you to just talk to people about it. Conversation is powerful, more powerful than you think. And just talking about something, even if it's with another person who can't vote in America, is important. And if you have any relatives or friends in the U.S., get them on the phone to the people representing them on a federal level. All you have to say is that you support Biden's American Jobs Plan. If you've made it this far into the bonus episode, which I know is not as cool as some of the other episodes, good for you and thanks for sticking with me. I want to tell you about a bit of a success story that's a good way to finish off this episode. Biden's plan may seem out of reach and his goals for emissions reduction and clean energy implementation even more so. But these goals aren't impossible. Let's talk about Iceland. Iceland is a country kind of on its own. It's an island between Greenland and the Nordic countries and it's powered almost entirely by renewable energy. 73% of their electricity comes from hydropower and 26.8% from geothermal. Both of these sources are completely emission-free and climate-friendly. I'm not sure what the last 0.2% is doing, but we're not going to worry about that. The thing is, though, that Iceland was powered almost entirely by imported fossil fuels up until the late 1990s. They began to transition to hydropower and geothermal power back in the 1950s, and they scaled up their local electricity sector quickly, implementing cheap, local, and renewable power that allowed them to move away from the expensive fossil fuels. During that time, they also implemented geothermal energy for space heating, which they now use in 99% of all space heating throughout the entire country. 
Again, I don't know why I can't just say 100%, but whatever. Iceland transitioned from heavily polluting and extremely expensive fossil fuel energy sources to much cheaper, renewable sources within the space of a few decades, and they did it without the much more advanced energy technology that we have today. This is almost the exact same situation that the rest of the world finds itself in now. Globally, we need to transition on a huge scale away from fossil fuels and towards renewables. Iceland and countries like Iceland show the world that it is more than possible. If we're willing to put in the work, collaborating with individuals, corporations, the media and governments to build excitement and drive towards these goals, then there's no future where we fail. And that's where we'll end this bonus episode. Thank you so much for sticking with me. If you want more information on Biden's plan, I'll put a couple of links to these resources in the show notes, as well as a couple of fun ones about Iceland, just because I think it's a really cool story. If you like this episode, just tell one person about it and why they might like it too. Again, thank you so much for being here with me. Stay innovative. I'll see you on the next one.